Hello, everybody, and welcome to another amazing episode of The Joy of Being, where I, your host, mum and effortless lifestyle coach, Marina Pearson, talk to transformational professionals, business owners, and creatives about unplugging from the worries and stresses of life to light up with insight and joy. today's episode, I'm really excited to be interviewing Jamie Catto. Now, if you don't know Jamie, let me introduce you to him. He's a creator, producer, director of the multi-award winning Global One Giant Leap films and albums and founder member of Faithless. He is now leading uniquely transformative workshops and one-to-one sessions with his clients. Drawing from the richly diverse wisdom, techniques and processes he has encountered during his groundbreaking filming, recording, philosophy voyages across all five continents, he is weaving these creative techniques and exercises to spark both professional and personal breakthroughs. Some of the artists he has collaborated with and directed in his projects to date have included Bono, Michael Stripe from R.E.M., Alanis Morissette, Dido, Robbie Williams, Danielle Lanoy, Katie Lang, Brian Eno, Nana Cherry, and in terms of film, Dennis Hopper, John Cusack, Carrie Fisher, Billy Connolly, Tim Robbins, Susan Sharandon, Stephen Fry, to name a few. Before we actually get on to the episode, I would love to read you his manifesto because it really impacted me when I heard it. And this is what we explored throughout the interview. We want to put our own selves into the work. We want to create a movement of introspection and self-inquiry where the viewer becomes a subject of the piece. It's about you. If we dare to show ourselves in all raw glory, really express what's going on in the chaos and the shadows, then we have a chance to connect to something real in our audience. Because when I talk about me, you'll hear about you. We need to collectively admit that we're not fine. We're not confident and balanced and good. We turn up to work every day, pretending we're not neurotic and obsessed and insatiable and full of doubt. And we waste so much energy keeping up this mutual pretense for each other because we think if people saw the truth, if people really knew what was going on in our heads, all the crazy truth of our dark appetites and self-loathing, then we'd get rejected. But in fact, the opposite is true. It's when we dare to reveal the truth that we unwittingly give everyone else permission to do the same, to stop holding their breath for a moment and actually come into the room, be here, present, vulnerable, and authentic. We're on a mission to make it self-reflection hip for such a moment, just long enough to save us. If we can all collectively acknowledge our insanity, shrug and roll our eyes at each other at how nuts it is being human, let alone having to pretend every day that we're normal, the amount of energy we'll inherit that has been wasted on the mask will be enough to creatively solve any global crisis. So this is what Jamie's up to. And on today's show, I talked to Jamie about his work. We spoke of how his work has been very impactful on parents. And while I was doing so, we spoke of how the intelligence that exists is always asking for us to grow and heal in some way, shape or form no matter what is going on, so we can see the challenging times as a gift. So if you're currently struggling in any area of your life, then this is the one to listen to. So enjoy. So welcome, Jamie Catter. I'm super excited to have you on the show today. And today we're going to be talking about Insanely Gifted. I guess part of this is also be about the joy of being human. Before this podcast, I was actually taking a look at the stuff you'd written, and I obviously know about your work, but one of the things that really struck me about this was how often when we go into this self-improvement model that we can put our humanness to one side and not wanting to be human, if that makes sense. So um, not accepting the parts that are very human, such as the feelings that we feel, like being bitchy or the darker side of that part of us. And as I was reading what you were up to, it became very apparent to me that there's an essence of needing to accept that part of us and to make it part of who we are as opposed to hiding it away somewhere in a cupboard. Our idea of what improving us means for many people, like you say, is sanitizing the the bits that are uncomfortable or make other people uncomfortable. The amount of extra extraneous editing that happened in our childhoods just by the trauma of not wanting to be exiled and not wanting to be outside the circle of love and anytime we were behaving in a way that didn't fit with our parents and carers model of how a human should be 
we were pretty much always trained with love withdrawal, um, either a lot or a little or a whack around the head, depending on what decade you were born in. And that's so traumatic for the kid that it will actually make lifelong decisions of self-edits of that part of me is no longer welcome. No one must ever let me see that part of me ever again. And crazily, so many bath babies get thrown out with the bathwater in that process. I mean, huge amounts. You know, the, the conclusions of a three, four, five-year-old child are not sophisticated. Uh, and they don't have the consciousness to go, oh, that person who's being mean to me now is just an arsehole or just tired or ignorant. So these edits that happen, the amount of babies that get thrown out with the bathwater, it's not just what we consider our yucky bits that go into the shadow and get edited out, like you were just mentioning, like the neediness or, you know, I can't show my anger or anything or be bitchy. But, you know, being your natural flamboyant entertainer, enjoying taking center stage and telling a joke or sharing whole holding space, that's a beautiful, legitimate part of us. But nearly everyone, if I ask a room full of 50 people, how many people grew up with that part of them fully upheld? Nearly nobody ever puts their hand up. Everybody had the experience of too loud, too much. You know, you were taught that to stay center stage meant you were sort of a greedy attention whore. Um, and so, so many beautiful parts of us, the ability to even stand up in front of people got thrown. That's one of the tiny ones went out with the bathwater. Now, most people, when they want to stand up in front of the other humans, they have to write down exactly what they're going to say, like a best man speech or something, and they're shaking. It's like terror, totally disproportionate terror. And everyone takes it for granted. Yeah, of course, standing up for people, that would be excruciating. But, you know, you have to buy a three DVD box set just to be able to not collapse. And <laughs> how screwed up are we? I mean, that's just the thin end of the wedge. But, you know, just so many of our natural abilities, our natural sense of peace to be able to sit in front of the humans and speak and not, you know, went. We've told the brain, don't ever let me look stupid. Don't ever let me look vulnerable. Don't ever let me look like I don't know what's going on. Unlovable, ugly, fat, smelly, whatever we were told we weren't allowed to be. that. Um, so all those edits that are constantly trying to protect us from never feeling those feelings, huge amounts of treasure go out too. I mean, huge amounts, essential. You know, most people are wandering around in a state of anxiety, Prozac, sobbing, totally hiding how fucked up they feel. You know, like people are in a lot more fragile and holding it together state than they let on. And I know from having gone beneath the surface with a few of them uh, in the last six years, how big the percentages are. What my fascination and area of kind of playing with people is, because I think wisdom is playful. It's got to be like mucking about, all of us acknowledging we're crazy. If people could hear our internal dialogue on a daily basis, we'd all be able to. I know. We all acknowledge that together. It's such a fucking relief. And then working from that place of going, okay, let's just be curious about all these different characters and demons and shit that live in our heads, the committee of voices. Let's be curious about it rather than always on the run from it. Oh, no, 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 my demons. It's also, you know, like such a big drama. Let's just be curious together and, and, and look at them all. And you discover that, first of all, many, many people have many of the voices in common. It's not actually rocket surgery. And uh, it only, as a lazy person, it's fantastic because you only have to take the tiniest quarter turn towards it to reap roomfuls of treasure. You, you get that. The body is so ready, like a sponge, to reabsorb those skills, those easeful feelings of feeling natural and in the flow of something. It's so ready to pick it back up again like you've always like, like riding a bike like you could always do it once you've done it you know, it's such a relief part of you coming home part of you waking up you get so much treasure for so little effort it's right it's the thing to do trust me it's much better than 25 years meditation in a himalayan cave or you know it's equal with it <laughs> Just know, that never really kind of resonated for me i was like that's way too much hard work surely yeah, yeah I'm, I'm quite a lazy person and what i've noticed <laughs> so am i you know, <laughs> Even though we've made this map of ourselves, that's the thing. All these choices and edits, what I didn't say was all these choices and edits that we've done through childhood, millions of them. What we forget is that we made those choices when we were three, four, five years old through understandable yet immature conclusions about what we needed to be and how we needed to survive. But yet we've lived with those edits religiously as if they are the truth of who we are and no, must, no one must ever take us to those edges. So we've made these maps of ourselves and the edge of me, we've put like dragons, like those old fashioned maps, there'd be dragons here, like don't fucking go there. And anyone that triggers us or sends us towards that edge or makes us feel exposed in one of those places, we fight those people, we condemn those people, we run to Facebook or the fridge, we can't fucking handle it at all. Anything that challenges our very nice comfort zone we've made. Yeah. And I'm 
actually, once you take a quarter turn towards it, even though you imagine there'd be dragons and you've lived your whole life as if it's dragons and it's excruciating and I could never possibly do this, it would be absolutely too much. It's bollocks because I've been with thousands and thousands of people doing this, people like you, people like me, and one quarter turn, just a fascination, not even going into the deep water and punching a pillow for mummy, just, you know, a little quarter turn towards it. You see, it's like, they're not dragons, they're children's chalk drawings of dragons. And one little turn towards them, just go, and it's like, ah, oh, treasure. So it's like, it's built in our brain, it's, the, it's such a no-go area. And I'm going there, playing around there, making up these fun games and discussions and just everyone lightening up together. People are just walking out with like hordes of treasure and like suddenly they're talking to their daughter for the first time in eight years or all their ex-mas gone or they're now finally doing that thing they've always wanted to do. And it's just, it's like waking up from a spell when you turn towards this stuff, the way it comes home. You go, what have I been doing all this time? Living this small version of myself. Let's fucking, who gives a shit what people think? Let's party, you know, let's... <laughs> in the 30 or 40 summers I've got left till I'm pissing in my pants, I'm going to have a good time. Don't, listen to the people who've got cancer. You know, they all say the same thing. Don't wait. Do the thing you want to do. Trust me, whatever you thought was important to not be seen doing it or not risk. If you're on your deathbed, you're like, that was bollocks. That was stupid. You'll kick yourself. Yeah, that's really cool. Because recently, this January, I, I took a step back to reflect what was working and what wasn't. And what came of that reflection point was I was spending way too much time on things that really weren't that important. And so as a result, I've shifted what I do with my time now to spend more time with the people I care about and do shit that lights me up. Like I won't do things anymore that, that are just, I'm supposed to be doing as opposed to really want to be doing, like yearning to do. Like, I don't know, I'm just being pulled in that direction and just give myself permission to play, to play like we did as children. Yeah, that's so, so, so important. That's what Paramasanda Yogananda, the Indian wonderful founder of the Self-Realization Fellowship. He wrote a beautiful book called Autobiography of a Yogi, orange book that you must have seen. Yeah. yeah, that's his whole thing. If you want to know what to do in your life, think about what you used to do when left alone playing as a child. And it so spoke to me. So I started singing, I'm going back to acting, um, I'm doing these podcasts. And so it, there is the sense of liberation that happens, but it's not just, as you said, years of meditation. It's a waking up to a whole new reality of being, which is really what I'm hearing you say, that you don't have to practice loads and loads. It's just a question of getting curious about an area and going in there and having a bit of an exploration. The whole human system of a human life, I think is hardwired to be mending itself anyway. So any ways we've edited ourselves off, it's trying to bring it all back through our triggers, through feeling the feelings we suppress. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we don't like uncomfortable feelings, so we try and reject anything that's uncomfortable, but the body's trying to give us, through a series of okay uncomfortable feelings, a huge excretion, a huge shitting out of all the years of depression. <laughs> got this huge lump of constipated and over-emotional, reactive, uncried tears, unshouted rage, un all the injustices, everything that, you know, for a whole lifetime of not daring to show it. It's life's genius way to get you to discharge through feeling those overreactions. Because if you annoy me, if I trigger you, you don't just get upset with me to the degree to which I was just annoying. You feel like a totally disproportionate, you want to kill those people when it happens, a totally disproportionate. <laughs> um, because we're feeling all the pain of all that suppression of all the people that treated us like that and we couldn't express it back to the beginning of time. So life is trying to get us to excrete that and what it uses and that's what people don't tell you in spiritual school if it uses one of the seven spiritual anuses that people call chakras which is the body's emotional shitting system that's why when someone upsets you you feel it in your belly or in your heart or your, you know you start feeling it in the central channel because that is the body's plumbing for excreting that huge lump of constipated emotional poo now if you look at life through how most people are looking at it victim 101 software all their demons and difficult people are just like things I have to suffer and it's all so poor me and oh I can't believe it and I told Nigel I'm going to email Brian and it, it's like the world of sort of being yanked left and right like a puppet on a string by the last idiot that crossed your path but if we're like upgrading our software here like you say a different way of living it's like waking up to what's really going on it's not that that stuff isn't going on but it's like you're switching your TV channel to look through a much more sort of wider lens and you also see that as well as those people being assholes they are also walking laxatives for my body's plumbing system. <laughs> and if I'm willing, if 
I'm willing to look at it that way as well and take responsibility that the time bomb you just set off in me that exploded, you are still an asshole, but that bomb that went off, the degree to which I felt pain is all mine. The two things are true at the same time. You didn't make me feel that. You are still a twat, and what you did was me. But the, the degree to which I just... The degree to which I just felt an explosion of pain is all mine. <laughs> I have to be the one that breathes through and comforts that. And goes, oh, hello, you little sausage. And all of this has to be through a loving, kind, eternally patient lens. Anytime you're doing any of this stuff and it's not loving, kind, eternally patient and adorable, it's your head trip of your criticism, you know, self-harming. Don't bother with any of that shit. Oh, I should have done more yoga this week or like yeah yeah all the biscuits again fuck um <laughs> don't do that that's self-harming that's nothing to do with growth no one needs that voice unless you're going oh are you unhealable and treating yourself as if you're adorable then don't bother with any of it i loved your quote where each of us a wide guru in charge of a mental patient it, that just speaks to this so beautifully and we can either let the mental patient run wild or let the guru actually speak softly to us more and more of the time. At least that's what yeah. I've been finding as I've been upgrading the system. But I wanted to ask a question and, and it goes back to what we were talking about as children. Yeah, make sure your internal Alexa is a kind voice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Jamie, what about being a parent? Like, you know, is there any chance at all in hell that when we become aware, I mean, I notice this as a, as a parent, like I have moments where I'm like, this, this very huge unawareness shows up in my, in my body about rage, anger, don't do that, which is so unconscious because as a parent, you just go into this and you're like, where the hell did that come from? I didn't even know that existed. Like I didn't even realize I even had that thinking or I even experienced that. Um, but of course, that has a direct impact on the children, right? So my question is, is the, is the journey about unhooking ourselves from that? Because it seems to me that we're all kind of going through that upgrading at some point or another. But as a parent, how do we facilitate that when we're in a bad space? Don't dump it on the kid. Yeah. Take space, put it in front of Nemo for the next you know, couple of hours. It's better that they watch Nemo, even though it's the iPad generation, than have your shittiness. If you need 45 minutes or an hour to just chill, have a bath, whatever. Like if you just need that coming back to yourself hour, whatever that is for you, some movie or whatever, is, I think it's a totally legitimate thing to constantly do it so that you just never parent your kids. No, but don't feel guilty about when you really fucking need that hour so that you can be a good mum after it. Take it. Include yourself in the circle of generosity. That's the thing. We are devotional to our kids. Of course we are. We are the space around them thriving in whatever direction. We're not imposing on them what to be. We are devotional to them like a project. We be the space around the environment where whatever kind of tomato plant they're going to be, you know, we, we support that. But it takes huge devotion and we cannot be on the outside of that devotion too. We, we have to treat ourselves with the same care and if you saw your kid wigging out like you're about to wig out, you would give it an hour and a lavender bath or whatever. You would, because you've got to be a good parent to your regressed child as well as to them. And if you don't include yourself equally in the circle of generosity, one or other will blow. So that's my answer, is that you just treat yourself like you would treat her or him. How old's the kid? Three and a half. Yeah, great. And just know all the time that... You loving yourself and giving yourself that bath or whatever it is, is the greatest education for them. They will embody what you embody. So the lesson is through how you live, not what you say. And if they see when mum's stressed, she has a bath, takes a bit of space and settles down. Ah, oh, ah, oh, when I'm stressed, I'll have a bath. You know, like they just learn, they just do what you do. They think that's what everyone does. That's normal. So to look after yourself, it, teaches them to look after themselves. I love that. And I guess it's just being conscious of the fact that there's some space. You don't need to react every time something happens. It's an opportunity in that moment to look after you. Another thing which parents forget, yeah. because the kid can speak, don't think it definitely understands your adult concepts. Mm. You know, a lot of times kids have been told something, they know that it's naughty or they shouldn't do it. And they look you in the eye and do it. Now, you think... Fucking little bitch. <laughs> you know, I'm calling the orphanage. But 
kids, for example, they need to practice. They learn things through repetition, the neuroplasticity of the brain. Like you, when you learn how to drive a car, you, you were like, I'm never going to be able to do this. Left hand does that. Right hand, right foot. What? I'm never going to be able to do this. Now you drive without even thinking about it. You could be having an argument with somebody in your head and drive all the way home and not have any idea. You're an autopilot. No idea of the route you took. That's how well the neuroplasticity of your brain knows how to drive. We all learn through repetition, language, everything. The kids, they know that. They do it through repetition. They practice no. They're not being naughty. They're doing it so that you'll say no, so that they can learn, oh, that's a no. They have to do that another 25 times. And then that's my behavior. But parents are so fucking impatient and they expect the kids to have an adult concept. I've told you twice. Why hasn't they got it yet? It's so fucking moronic that they actually think the kid's being naughty. And then the kids get a complex, not understanding why they're being told off when they were doing the no thing, the no game that we were doing before. And they're totally confused. Mm. And they need to experiment with power. Well, what happens if I go here? How cross will she be? You know, they're learning the map of where they are. They're, they're in a totally unmarked territory. You, you know yours. They're in like just making it for the first time out of Lego. They need a lot of repetition. <laughs> When's that book coming out, Jamie? <laughs> What, Bad Parents of the World Unite? <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> we have a Facebook group called Bad Parents of the World Unite. Oh, brilliant. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to join it. So we have Bad Parents of the World Unite, so we can all talk about our epic parenting fails and laugh together about the predicament of being a fallible parent. But there's room for us to, to, to fail, right? So to go, oh, shit, that didn't really work out well at all. And to have awareness around that and shift and change it as opposed to kind of beat yourself up again about, oh, yeah. God, I got it all wrong. It's really good. That's another thing, permission to fail, is like it's really been good. The times when I have shouted at the kids or whatever or sort of overreacted to something and been really fucking fucked off, it's really great those give an opportunity for you to later on apologize. Yeah, yeah, that's and what I do a lot. That's another thing they learn to embody is that, yeah, we all do freak out sometimes or whatever, but afterwards we make it right. And we reconnect and we all leave it knowing what really happened, that that wasn't cool. Or rather than everybody leave confused who that didn't feel right, why am I still being told off? You know, it's like you, you go back to what's right, and re reaffirm the clear boundaries and, and apologize. Then they learn to apologize. So rather than kind of going, oh, I'm not going to react oh, oh, and then beat yourself up, what, you, what I'm really hearing is, is it's it's not like okay to, it's not like, oh, now I have full permission to do that. It's more to do with, there will be moments. I certainly am not infallible at all. Like I am. <laughs> and so what I'm really hearing you say is it's okay, but there's some opportunity for you to learn something here and to change it. Well, I would say this is another big one, seeing as you're bringing up parenting, um, is use your frustrations. I'm all about harvesting demons, not just neutralizing the the sort of negative effects of our difficult parts and our demons and our suppression, but to actually harvest the treasure from them. And um, use your stresses around your little kids, for example, as to always ask the what it's showing you, the way people overreact to their little kids, which is just a ridiculous nonsense because they, they could not be more innocent. You know what I mean? No matter what you project onto them, if they're doing it on purpose. That's just bollocks. You know, they, they're just finding their way. They've got no clue. And even if they are doing it on purpose, they're finding out what doing it on purpose is right. And that's innocent too. Like just, like, they're totally innocent. So anything that you're feeling that is stressing you out or collapsing you, it makes you ask the question, in what way am I being asked to self-care here in a way that I'm forgetting? If you're freaking out, it means that you're not self-caring enough that you've got to this point where you're that, you have that little buffer zone that you're going over the edge. So it could be that you're working too long hours, you're not drinking enough water, you're not feeding yourself properly, some combination of you not looking after yourself. You're not giving yourself enough time before you come home to wash your face and hands before you go into kid land or being boundaried enough in some other way. Usually, if you find yourself overreacting to the kids, it means that, for example, you're not leaving enough time in the morning to get out of the house. It's not the, that's one of the ways people really dump on their kids. Yep. And grown up themselves have not got their shit together in the morning. And then they're screaming at you, the kid, for not having its shoes on or whatever, or not having, leaving its bag upstairs. When if we were going at a relaxed pace, leaving a bag upstairs, we'd just go upstairs, get it, and leave. We would have left the extra five, 10 minutes. And it's us having gone so close to the wire that makes a nightmare for them. So to 
look at that, an instance like that, which is quite a common one, and go, oh, how am, if, how am I being asked to self-care here? Well, you're being asked to set your alarm 15 minutes earlier and stop rushing every morning and just for that extra perceived 10, 15 minutes of sleep, which makes no difference to your life. Maybe also go to bed early, get off Facebook, don't have a bright screen and a laptop right in your face at the moment until you turn the light off. Um, you know, have a little period before where screens stop religiously I dare you to turn the modem off. Does it really need to be on beyond 9.30 in the evening, the modem? Is it anything that can't wait? You know, the last part of the evening could just be for you and the people in your house and nothing to do with uh, everyone isolating into. All these ideas stop the screaming at the kids in the morning when everyone's rushing and they've slept badly because they've had a blue screen in their face at the moment they shut the thing down. It's being asked to self-care more. They're symptoms. Hmm. I love this, Jamie. You know, those moments that you've been talking about of getting the kids ready for school, doing too much, uh, packing everything in. I've really noticed that too, in that now that I don't do as much of all of that, it, it's become so much easier to be with my child as opposed to how it used to be um, because I was having a lot of health issues. So, yeah, I really love that. Radical self-care. <laughs> totally, because, you know, as I said, even in, in, the self, in the selfness world, we really want to be great parents. We want to be great creators. We want to be great lovers, great partners, great, you know, friends. And we want that, those parts, those key parts of ourselves to be our, like, the essence of what gives us a fulfilled life and makes us have a smile when we put our head on the pillow as the days which score high in those areas of us really connecting on those levels. You can't do it if you're in constant state of reaction and survival, cortisol, triggered, over-emotional, not self-caring. But life becomes a masterpiece when you come out of that low sort of base chakra of survival, emotional survival, drama, and you've got enough of a buffer that you can actually start enjoying each other. And it is like waking up from a spell. It's like those cheesy hypnotists. You go, three, two, one, you're back in the room. And that's what it's like on the, on the workshops. People are like, God, where the fuck have I been? I'm taking it all so seriously. Oh, my God. Um, and suddenly people lighten up. We're all nuts. We're all crazy. Do what the fuck you like. You know, you, you're one of the, you came first out of the 200 million sperm race. You're a winner. This is the after show party. You don't have to do anything. <laughs> so what's your journey been, Jamie? Like, I'm curious about what brought you to the work that you do, because obviously you run the workshops, um, but you're also a musician and a film director and producer. And I'm curious about, what took you on this journey of who we are and what we're capable of? Intense suffering and being dragged, kicking and screaming unwillingly through having to deal with it, like everything. In a all nutshell. Yeah, all my evolving comes with huge dragging, kicking and screaming resistance, only when I'm absolutely forced at absolute rock bottom to face something, will I do it. But at that point, I will do it. <laughs> it's taken a long time and it's, it continues to take a long time because I will fight you I will fight every lesson <laughs> <laughs> like they say in Taoism let go or be dragged yeah <laughs> I love that have you found that um, especially as a musician that taking yourself on this journey has actually been very enhancing for the music that you do what have you found in terms of your creativity or has that made any difference or has it not what's your experience been around that well, you hope that the music you make for people as an artist, it is made, the artists we fall in love with are the ones that are willing to really go to those edges of their rage or their neediness or their extreme bits of human experience that are uncomfortable to most and the edges people avoid. But everyone needs those edges in their life, so they kind of use the musicians. They don't want to have the excruciating life and demise of Janis Joplin. But they need a bit of that oh, in their life. So they listen to a Janis Joplin screaming ahead off and they go, ah, oh, they have a like lovely watered down version of it for four and a half minutes and then get on with their lives. But Janis Joplin actually was the one on the edge. And that's why we deify those kind of people because they actually go there and bring back. So you hope that your the most extreme experiences that you've survived in your life and the depths that you've been stretched into and the way that life has sculpted you, you hope that those intensities you know you bring to people a permission slip that if you can feel that then they can feel that with permission and everybody expands their notion of feeling themselves 
people feel themselves through your music or through your, you know. And so definitely, like, I can, I mean, in a very, in very, very direct ways, the second one giant leap film, What About Me? My life fell apart in the middle of the making of that film, which was like really? a three-year project. <laughs> to like the most traumatic, ridiculous soap opera uh, level. And it was a miracle, um, you know, that we met, I made it, certainly I made it through the other side, it was like torture. And that turned it from a film called Two Sides to Everything into a film called What About Me? Where suddenly I, when I was in front of Eckhart Toller or anybody else, Gabriel Roth, I was asking questions because I wasn't trying to get good footage, because I needed to know the answer. <laughs> wow we got an amazing film but and a really amazing film of, you know about the collective insanity and all the most amazing musicians and players and singers and talkers on the planet but it was born of absolutely being sent to rock bottom and then the film became an expression of what i needed to find out to get out so that's a very direct way that had that not happened we would have come up with a very average film called two sides to everything but because that happened it forced us all through such intensity that the footage that we got, that the way, the vibe, where you move from will be the vibration, to not use too hippie a word, that people will receive. If you're being shitty and you're like irritable and like petulant, you're going to kind of evoke the irritable, petulant part of whoever you're talking to, if you're being shitty to them. And if you're kind and you're peaceful, you're more likely to evoke the kind of peaceful flame in somebody else. So um, the intensity and the survival and the needing to survive part of coming through that experience really came through into the film and it blasted a load of really good medicine. So me needing to find my medicine became medicine for everyone else who enjoyed that film and Duncan, um, me and Duncan's medicine. And that is what your greatest traumas, if again, through looking at it through what I would say is the correct lens or the as well lens, not spiritually bypassing and running upstairs. It's still the drama, it's a horror, it was terrible what happened to me, blah, blah, blah. But up here, it becomes your superhero training, your intimacy and your empathy training. But what you've survived and the heavy shit that life's put you through has given you a kind of a frequency of empathy to other people that have suffered in a certain so that you can really be with them. And that's a great healing and it's a great training, the Chiron, the wounded healer. So I look at the kind of heavy shit that we've been through, like whether it comes back as music, comes back as a film, comes back just with your ability to sit with somebody who's been through it too. That's true, true healing. Your authenticity that you've been in hell becomes an environment of healing for someone else who's in hell because they know that you can sit there, you come out of it. You're not talking them out of it. No, 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 it won't be here long. Don't worry, you're not like, you're not. It's like that line from Orion Mountain Dreamer. I want to know if you can sit with pain, mine or your own, without moving to fix it or change it or solve it, or words that affect <laughs> um, That's where true healing happens, is someone who can empathize with you and just be with you there without trying to talk you out of your pain, but know what it's like and hold your hand through it. That's beautiful healing. And we all are given the skill to do that for each other through our traumas and through our dark nights of the soul. So, yeah, I, I, I do like to alchemize the shit into gold, the suffering into healing, the suffering into music, um, the suffering into um, films, the suffering into empathy and communication to, for everyone to lighten up and, and connect deeply with each other. Mm. When I was hearing you speak, there was a sense of, um, I got this image of just this huge unity. You know, often we, we feel so divided from one another, especially if we're going through stuff but what I'm really hearing is being human on this planet, we're all just attempting to make it work the best that we can, <laughs> I guess, you know? No, no, first of all, we come in with a massive trauma and then we're given the wrong fucking rule book. It's such an <laughs> First you come in in the most bizarre, fear-ridden, most people dragged out, rubbed with a towel, like, you know, it's getting better these days, but still, you know, it's far from home births and candles and patchouli for most people. Uh, and then the cord is cut and you go from the oneness into separation. You've gone and you were in a lovely float tank inside your mother or maybe even in the spirit world. And then you come out and you're like, fuck, what is this skin stuff? And then they cut the cord. I mean, it's going to be traumatic. No matter, no matter how nicely you try and do it. And then you come into uh, your childhood where the fucking idiots around you are giving you a totally wrong rule book of handbook on how to exist in this incredible theme park. And they teach you, you know, never look all the opposite truths, never look vulnerable, never risk, never fail, all these things which are essential that you need to do. They totally take away your peace. They give you a rule book that doesn't fit with your actual experience of reality. You end up with various degrees of schizophrenic 
post-traumatic stress disorder freak twitching around the place, it's no fucking wonder. <laughs> Amen, brother. <laughs> so for those people that are listening, you know, who are living that right now, who are stressed, who are overworked, maybe underpaid, rush, 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 busy, 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 not really squeezing the juice of life because that's actually I've come to see that what a gift what a gift this life is right that we can actually experience don't wait it. To get to, exactly don't wait to be on your deathbed to realize what a gift but we think we're immortal we, we've got we've done such a great job in our culture of pretending death doesn't exist that everybody's just too busy consuming and, and on Facebook arguing on Facebook uh, <laughs> <laughs> Who really drink the nectar, you know, of the present moment, including me, tons of the time. Mm. I recommend for everyone to set their phone alarm to ring every 20 minutes of your waking day and just stop whatever you're doing and stop and just ask yourself, put your hand on your chest lovingly and just say, how do you feel? How am I feeling? What do I need? And live life in devotion to that. It's a whole different world of presence because we're so distracted by so many things not this radio station trying to protect us and get us what we want and get us what we want and make sure this doesn't happen and make sure this does happen. It's on so loud all the time. Call it head fuck FM. We, <laughs> we, actually, we actually believe that's who we are. It's been on so long and so loud. All these different DJs are all the different committee of nutters in our head, like our own cast of one flew over the cuckoo's nest that sort of lives back there that we all have. But it's, it, they do such an incredible impersonation of us that we think it's us. We think those are our values when we grab the wheel. You write that email, you're fuck you, send. And then later you're like, oh, fuck. You really thought when you were being bitchy that that was how you felt and those were your values. When really it was just one of the characters leapt in and got the wheel. That's why after we've upset someone, we go, that wasn't me. You know, we kind of mean it. So when we start turning towards these characters uh, and realize it's a radio station and start to get to know the DJs and know that it's, it's a DJ, Life is a different place to be, but it literally is like an awakening that you suddenly realize that's a radio station, that's not me. And when you know that you can actually observe your mind doing that again and again, suddenly you're awake. Life goes from black and white to color. If you don't, you might as well just be a zombie. It was really funny this morning. Just when I was listening to you, it kind of brought up an image of what happened to me this morning, which is I parked the car um, and I was literally going to step out, grab a coffee, go back in the car and come home. And... There was a, there's a guy who, was, um, who owns the laundry and he came out and he goes, you're not seriously putting your car there, are you? And I was like, it's a parking. <laughs> I don't know, what's wrong with my parking? It's, you've taken up two spaces. And I'm like, oh, okay. I'm really sorry that you feel that way. Um, but I'm literally just popping in and coming back out. And he goes, oh. Anyway, I came back out. And he just smiled at me. <laughs> it's just really bizarre. <laughs> but what I noticed was that rather get embroiled in the drama, I just laughed at him. <laughs> and it just broke that, that moment of, oh, okay. <laughs> Didn't really know what you to really, do. You agree with people also when they criticize you. <laughs> and we spend a lot of time going, no, I can't. You know, our whole life is defending, proclaiming that we're not what someone said we are. Anthony DeMello is this wonderful Jesuit monk wrote a book called Awareness. He says, you know, someone says to him, God, that was such a stupid thing to say. He says, instead of like arguing with him about it, he's, he goes, God, you think that was stupid? You should have heard what I said yesterday. That was stupid. And like really agree. And then there's, it's like Tai Chi when there's nothing to push against. The thing yeah. can't either falls down or it, there's, there's no pushability. No, there isn't. And it's, it was just really funny to see. It just took him aback because he was expecting me to get into the drama of it. And I was like, no, I'm not going to go there. I just want to go get my coffee. <laughs> it's just funny. It was just reminded me of that, actually, of how yeah. we can break the pattern. Yeah. yeah, that we, how can we break the pattern with other people is actually to have this playful approach towards them, but actually towards ourselves, really, because there's only us perceiving anything, right? Yeah. And definitely when you, when you catch yourself fucking up and you get a parking ticket or you, you know, you remember your light entertainment for the angels and you overreacting and deavering about, you are your own Mr. Bean. We do this in one of the workshops as you sort of write your own sitcom based on the futility of your existence and how overreactive you are. And you have your own catchphrase. Every time you get busted by, you know, you get, um, every time you overreact, you have your little catchphrase, you say. 
And um, all of us, when we start, again, taking the playful attitude that we are a farcical slapstick character, like on a rodeo horse covered in Vaseline, constantly falling on our ass, when we start to find that fun and adorable, <laughs> life is, it's, it's, it's available. You can, you can find your constant unheedable failure and futility and overreaction adorable. If you keep that on, as well as it's still falling down, as well as the ego going, oh, that's terribly serious, it hurts, as well as that happening. It's not instead of, as well as all the ego drama. There's another voice, which is like the clown channel, which is making honk honk noises and canned laughter after everything you do. And it's like, it's cool. I just was working with 60 clowns last week and it was, it was like coming home. It was educational and illuminating. Wow. So when you say working with them, what do you mean by that? teaching my workshops, Transforming Shadows, Insanely Gifted, Mojo Glass, to 60 hospital clowns. Wow. What came out of that? Why were they so drawn to the work that you do? A clown is about finding the authentic, unseen shadow of yourself and theatricalizing it for everyone to see so that they can laugh at their own, essentially. That's what all comedy, hopefully, is. is a way that we mirror the parts, the, the parts of ourselves that we've edited off and have a little titillation and laugh and acknowledgement together and we have the safety that the comedian is an extreme more than extreme than us so we feel safe that we're not as bad as that we get to laugh at ourselves but <laughs> have the safety that they're the really <laughs> <Not that one>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're all like that. yeah um, so with the clowns you know to explore the different parts of ourselves and the different voices and the different authentic bits that we hide that we can exaggerate and play with together and laugh and lighten up about is like perfect sort of both healing and also brings a greater intimacy. You know what we're talking about, can I sit with your pain without moving to fix it? The clown's not there to take away the kid's pain. The hospital is there to, in a way, just make the kid feel very safe where it is. Mm. And that's what all healing is, is being somewhere where you're not overreacting, you're not getting depressed, you're not putting the child or the person you're supposed to be healing or working with in the role of person being helped. Ramdas is amazing about this. If you ever get into, if you're a, if you're a helper or a server or a healer or a space holder, read How Can I Help by Ramdas. Mm -hmm. It's very much about not getting, the first thing you have to do is get rid of the role of you're the helper and they're the person getting help. The moment that's there, nothing interesting can happen and it's actually very depressing for everyone. If you come out of the professional warmth, come out of the role of I am the healer doing this, I am called so-and-so, that's what Patch Adams found. You just be yourself, then they can be themselves and the whole role, you know, is softened and more healing can happen. So um, with those guys, you know, it's all, a lot about that, about really being there in the room uh, rather than Hong Kong and uh, healing themselves in the process. That must have been amazing to watch. I mean, obviously, with the work that you do, it must be amazing to watch anyway. Any, any kind of transformation when people wake up is like, wow. Especially clowns. I don't know, I guess, from the perspective of you just think that they're always kind of funny or whatever. And yeah, I don't know. I'd never really you kind of seen you them. Go in, you go into a dying child's room and you mm. make them cry, but they get frightened. You can live with that the whole rest of your life. It's a, it's a high-pressure environment, you know, not kids' birthday parties so much. Yeah, I'd never really considered that, actually. But you're absolutely right. I, I guess it's a really special time, and they need to get it right. <laughs> also, yeah, they need to look after themselves as well. Like I was saying to you, like with your child, including yourself in the circle of generosity, that when they go in the room, they're not sacrificing their own needs as a human as well. Yes, they're there to give. Yes, they're there to serve. But also, they need to be totally self-caring, clear of their boundaries, not maybe giving their energy around to other people in the room, parents, family members who, because you're a clown, think that they have the right to whatever. I mean, just knowing who you're there for and what you do don't have the energy for. So, so important, especially if you're going to be doing that over and over and over again. I'm starting a thing called the Academy of the Sacred Fool this year, which is a training for facilitators and leaders and healers and clowns and people who take their work out to other people. My principles kind of through that stuff. And I learned a lot about what I want to teach in that five month immersion through working with them. I realized a lot of what's needed and we made a lot of good games and processes that are exactly like what they need. And I learned a lot about what the Academy of the Sacred Fool is going to be offering through working with these guys. So I love that because I mean, it's almost like a, at some point you didn't even know you were going to create that, did you? The Academy of the Sacred Fool? Yeah. 
No, actually, it was it was my girlfriend's idea, Lisa Lana. She's genius at knowing where the next thing, what what you you know, just she's a brilliant coach for millions of people. And when she suggested it, it helped. It was so right. You know, I still want to do the workshops where people come and wake up themselves, but to suddenly be training people so that they can take it to a broader, you know, they're taking those principles to people uh, in groups and groups and groups. Uh, I think the whole genre of bringing stuff to people needs so much lightening up. It needs so much removal yes. of masks and busyness. And uh, yeah, exactly. It just it appeared. In fact, it's funny because my girlfriend seven years ago was a wonderful artist called Raisa Breslava and it was her idea that I even do workshops or this kind of stuff at all. So it's always been the woman that says, yeah, you should do this. <laughs> it's National Women's Day and I will say now, thank you to all the women who have been so instrumental in, you know, Raisa telling me to do workshops, Lisa telling me to do the Academy, Lynn Franks introducing me to Annie Lennox, the goddess of the second one, giant leap deal. It's all been women. Who have uh, and I do believe that the yang of a man or the male leadership it has to be guided by the female listening even within ourselves the yin is supposed to be feminine and the yang is supposed to be masculine not in a boy girl way but we all have the yang that goes out into the world we all have the yin that listens and is impacted by the world and the second one isn't really used even though that's where all the genius of life is it's in the listening where a great song comes in a great idea pops into your head a great inspiration you need to do this great lovemaking it's all in the tuning in and the listening field great parenting yeah, we're not really taught in school. We're only taught the yang. Do this. Do the exam. Learn the facts. Get linear. It's only the yang that's taught. That's why we're so balanced. All my work is about wake, waking up the yin, the genius you get from the listening and the turning towards. And then that part of you that's now awake, that we've been talking about, that directs your yang, your doing, your leading, your going in the world, buying the hammer and nails and building it together. But that yang jumping into action and doing doesn't happen until the yin has listened. Oh, that's what we'll do. Male, male leadership is not about destination choosing. It's the female part of us that goes, oh, we need to go over there. And then says to the male leadership, pack up the car and lead us over there. But it, it's the woman, the feminine that chooses where to go. And it's the masculine that maybe packs up the car and takes us there. And I believe in the home, you know, like obey. I have three daughters as well. So I know. My <laughs> Perfectly divinely set up for you there, I think. Yeah. <laughs> So, Jamie, what are you giving yourself permission to do more of in life at the moment? I am giving myself permission to leave situations that don't feel good and not mm. stay because good is bringing up my stuff. That's one of the great spiritual pratfalls, that if it's bringing up your stuff, it's really good. Don't leave. It's like people stay in shitty relationships when they are having a shit time because it's good for them. It's pressing their buttons. I think our job as humans is to put ourselves where we thrive. It's God's job to evolve us. So be, go and do a workshop, go and do things. If it entertains you to evolve yourself, but you don't have to evolve yourself. Life is going to evolve you through whatever instances go through your life. The curriculum is, you can't escape the curriculum. So pay, play a part in it, even look out for things. But it's not your job. Your job is to place yourself where you're happy, where you thrive, where you're feeling good, and let life give you the challenges. So people stay in a lot of, relationships and situations and jobs that don't feel good because someone spiritually told them that if it's challenging you if it's pressing your buttons it's showing you where you're stuck so it's a great meditation don't choose a shitty life because you think it's a good meditation if you have options for where you could thrive more feel freer feel more joyful that's our job as human egos to choose that um so that you know is a big one for me at the moment it's like actually allowing myself also allow myself to sit on my ass um, and not do stuff like the Taoist concept of Wu Wei, which is deliberately not doing anything. Um, a lot of sort of really enjoying the things I enjoy, like science fiction novels and audiobooks and nature and children, you know, like filling life with what makes me happy. Yeah, this is, a, this is a new one for me too. So I'm giving myself permission to do more of that as well, which is... Kind of like, why, the, why did we stop doing that? <laughs> yeah, I didn't even have that time. It's another thing that, you know, people would very much cling to, that there isn't enough time with their job and the kid. And da, 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 da. But you know what? There is time. And yeah. in a way, you can make more. It's better that the washing up doesn't get done or the laundry. You know, it does, it's better that those things wait three days and you have 
time for a nice long walk in the trees or whatever feeds you or a five rhythms dance class or something that really feeds you. It's better that you do that and something else goes amiss than always make the thing you need the last on the list and therefore the thing that always gets missed. So stop making your needs last on the list. Doesn't mean you're a megalomaniac. If you constantly mean that you won't go for a walk or you won't have that time to sit alone or you won't get to do your five rhythms dancing, if that's always the thing that gets skipped, and eventually it accumulates to a nervous breakdown or a big argument or a collapse or a, you know, a binge. Yeah. If you're not expressing that wise guru within in the way that it wants to be expressed, it has to go somewhere. Right. So it can be channeled in a way that gives you joy or it be channeled in a way that frustrates you, pisses you off and makes you angry. <laughs> Keep coming back to the kindness. That's it. If you're ever in a doubt, just take a breath. Go, am I being kind? Beautiful, Damie. Um, and so if someone wants to contact you and they've really loved listening, well, obviously loved listening to this podcast episode, where can they reach you? Well, there's jamiecato.com has got all the workshops. And, you know, you can sign up for the Nows letter there and you get an intimacy ebook for free, I believe, at the moment. All the online workshops are free, actually, uh, at the moment on the website. I just made them all free because uh, it was amazing, like, they weren't very expensive, but I just thought, fuck it, it's so stupid. Let's just make them all free for Christmas. And now we have like 40,000 downloads. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's strange. Um, <laughs> anyway, so there's a lot of free stuff on the website. And um, yeah, there's workshops, there's one-on-one sessions, there's the Academy of the Sacred Fool about to come, there's music. Um, I'm very easy to find, very lonely. Just put my name in the search browser. It was funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes you are so thank you so much Jamie really appreciate us having this chat together today and I look forward to speaking to you soon Richard thanks for having me and there you have it another amazing episode of the joy of being if you loved what you heard here today and it's been helpful why not subscribe or share the podcast with others and if you're curious as how you can experience more joy in your life and feel more carefree then I invite you to download your Joy Catalyzer Scorecard at www.marinapearson.com slash scorecard, which will help you identify the joy gaps and what you can do to fill them. So until next week's episode, remember, you are the joy you seek.